The NBA features some of the most well-known athletes on the planet and has become so popular that ESPN and Turner Sports recently extended their broadcast contract with the league for $24 billion over nine years. But its 71-year journey to where it is today wasn't all roses. It took 35 years before the finals were broadcast live instead of on tape delay. Interest in the league has been a long, slow climb. Compared to the NBA, the WNBA is just getting started. In its 21 years, the WNBA has racked up plenty of wins, including a national television deal with ESPN and steadily growing attendance numbers. But in 2017, its amazing roster of athletes is facing a stunning discrepancy in media coverage. I think in, in some ways it's changed, in some ways it's the same. Um, I think for me it's different because of the market that I'm in and because of the, the success of our team. This is the voice of Minnesota Lynx head coach Cheryl Reeve. She's the most successful head coach in WNBA history and ranks number one all-time in winning percentage and playoff victories. With five rings to her name, she's won three titles as a head coach and two as an assistant. Reeve got her start back in 2001, so she's seen the ups and downs of the league over that time. If I go back to the very beginning in, in 2001, um, you know, I was, in, I was in Charlotte, and I would say it was limited coverage, limited space in, in, uh, in papers, because at the time papers were still in, um, limited mentions, you know, even just being able to, uh, on the radio, say a score, or hey, the Charlotte Sting played tonight, you know, those things just didn't exist. Um, you know, what they would call, you know, the mainstream media, you know, it was hard to, to, to carve, carve out space. And I, I would say it's still the same in, in some markets, you know, uh, that you can't find more... Uh, more mentions, if you will. Um, you know, we've got our loyal in-market people. You know, but I'd say overall, you know, I, I don't know that it's changed much unless you have unless you have a winning team and you have a market like ours who gets behind a winning team. One, I am thankful for uh, the fact that uh, we do have greater media coverage here locally than we have in most most WNBA cities. Uh, but that's not the bar. It's kind of like when I first got here, the Lynx goal was to make the playoffs. Well, that shouldn't be that hard to accomplish. And so I kind of see the same thing with the media. And, and so I want to raise the bar. I, wanna, I want the expectations to change. Welcome to Lynx Dynasty. I'm your host, Neil Olstad. This is a podcast about Minnesota's most successful sports franchise and the people, themes, and philosophies that make it special. As a loyal Minnesota basketball fan, I've always rooted for the Timberwolves and the Lynx. But even a white male like myself doesn't have to look too far to notice the discrepancy in how the two teams are covered. In this episode, I dug into the subject by talking to the people who live this and analyze it every day. So it is societal norms. We are conditioned uh, at birth. You know, as soon as, you know, as soon as it happens, um, there are ways that, that girls are told that they're less than uh, men. I mean, turn the TV on, you know, uh, walk, in, walk into, a, uh, into a girls game, uh, at, you know, at seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And look what the girls do. Look what the boys do. Look what they have. Look at the facility. Um, they're told at a young age that what they're doing is not as important. Uh, and we have to change that. And, and we're a long ways away from that. Um, I think we're... Uh, we're, we're living in a society where we can speak out more, we, we can shine the light more, um, but we need people like yourself, you know, the, the white male, that uh, will advocate 
for things like this to really, really enact change. You know, women aren't going to be able to do it by themselves. Howard Megdahl is the editor-in-chief at The Summit, a website that covers women's basketball. He also hosts the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast. Howard is one of the smartest, most thoughtful journalists covering the WNBA today. Across the board in media, why is it over and over again the decision made not to cover women's sports, whether it's the WNBA or anything else, the way men's sports are covered? And decisions are made in such a way that um, I don't think it overstates it to say every time a... um, a broadcast is put on ESPN2 instead of ESPN, or is not broadcast at all, it is a way of saying to a larger society, this doesn't matter as much. Every time those scores come second or not at all, it's a way of saying, this doesn't matter as much. And to be frank, I think there's a far bigger issue there, which is that I think we as a society say that about women all the time, that that it does, you don't matter as much. And so I think sports is just a manifestation of it. The single greatest change is how we can move as a society away from societal norms in terms of the traditional way that that women have functioned. You know, we're obviously in the workforce at, at a much greater level than you know, say, 50 years ago. Um, but even that has taken on. We still don't have equal pay for equal work. Uh, we're still, you know, talking about this glass ceiling. We're talking about. You know, how many of the Fortune 500 companies have women in the C-suite? There's not many. Ones that do have it are successful. They outperform the others. So there's really, really strong data. Uh, it's not just a cause or, as we would say, uh, do the right thing. Uh, it's good business. It's good business to include, um, you know, all sectors. It, it makes no sense when you're hiring to eliminate, um, you know, that, that you, you hire what you, what you look like or what you're comfortable with. And that's just bad business. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion is, is where, where success is at. Being resistant to change is deep within us all. There is a natural comfort that comes with things remaining the same. New ideas that question our longstanding beliefs and principles can be uncomfortable. This human emotion of being adverse to change manifests itself in many areas of our lives including our focus today, sports media. I'd say it's the single uh, greatest challenge that we have is, is decision makers, if you will. How do we change that? You know, because like you said, it's, for me, it's generational. Uh, we've, got, we've got a group of decision makers that, frankly, need to retire. And when, when they retire and then you get younger people like yourself, millennials, that are growing up with the idea of um, diversity being a positive, inclusion being a positive, and, and, and a norm. In general, the industry is made up of straight, white, middle-aged men who don't want to see this system change. They want to cover the sports and leagues that made their careers and are afraid to venture into uncharted territory. This type of thinking and behavior is made possible by a lack of diversity in high-level positions in sports media. There is a very powerful reason for a whole bunch of people who make these decisions to not want the status quo to change and it is my belief that men are capable of doing this as well but having women in those rooms and having having people of color in those rooms is going to fundamentally supercharge the way in which this happens and it's also going to do something else when the room is all white men there's certain things that are not that aren't brought up and that people get away with um saying 
And I say this as someone who has pitched ideas. I've gotten an email back when I've pitched a WNBA uh, story with the word seriously question mark. And they're not afraid because, oh, well, you know, he's one of us. Bottom line is nothing happens in this business without at least two white men agreeing to spend money. The decision makers in these instances are predominantly men who don't know a lot about the women's leagues. If decision-making processes are based around not having to know enough about the WNBA to make good decisions about how to cover them properly, then you're set. And if that changes, then suddenly a lot of people who in this business, quite frankly, are disproportionately middle-aged white men who are not engaged in the WNBA and don't want to be, then that creates a challenge that otherwise wouldn't exist. Lindsey Gibbs writes about the intersection of sports and politics at thinkprogress.org. She takes Howard's point about the general sports media's aversion to the WNBA a step further. They don't just not know how to cover the WNBA. They, in the general they, the general male sports writer, they don't know how to talk about women, period. And so they don't know. They don't know how to talk about women as villains, as people who aren't succeeding their potential. They know how to talk about women in this um, adoring but far off manner. Um, or, you know, and, and that's kind of the only place it's safe. And I think that's often why women's sports gets trapped in this inspiration. They're an inspiration. Oh, look how inspirational. I think women's sports gets trapped there because that's the only way people feel comfortable talking about women. They don't feel comfortable talking about them as like tough, like they're assholes sometimes. Like what these women are doing are pushing the bounds on a fundamental level of what we're comfortable seeing women do. And society is never had a lot of these conversations. And, um, and, and I think that makes this nuance like really, really, there is no nuance and people aren't capable of this nuance. And certainly the male sports writers who are running things aren't capable of this nuance and the studio heads aren't capable of this. And so it scares them. So far, a lot of what we've covered is in regard to the general sports media as a whole. But let's drill down one more level. It's time to get specific. ESPN, or the Entertainment Sports Programming Network, was founded in 1978. They built slowly at first, accumulating partnerships with all the major sports leagues through the 1980s. SportsCenter, the network's sports news and highlights show, rose to prominence in the early 90s and transformed into a bona fide pop culture phenomenon. ESPN became the worldwide leader in sports by broadcasting live sporting events and then creating 24-7 programming to support those sports. It started with highlight news shows like SportsCenter and Baseball Tonight, and then evolved into other original shows like Outside the Lines, Pardon the Interruption, 30 for 30, and Around the Horn. All of this was in the name of raising the profile of sports in America. In a lot of ways, ESPN is responsible for the massive amount of interest for sports in today's society. The NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, NASCAR, and NCAA football and basketball have all benefited during the Sports Center era. Meanwhile, 
women's sports have never been part of the equation for ESPN. Yet ESPN holds the national television rights to WNBA games and is a huge reason the league is profitable. This sets up a complicated dynamic between the WNBA and ESPN. On one hand, ESPN has carried WNBA games since the league's inaugural season in 1996. In 2013, they extended their deal with the WNBA, which is reportedly worth $12 million per year and will run through the 2022 season. It's a great deal that helps cement the fact that the WNBA is here to stay. On the other hand, the WNBA and women's sports are not a priority for ESPN. Simply owning the national TV rights to WNBA games is not enough. ESPN only broadcasts 30 games per season, including the playoffs, across all their networks. Only one regular season game in 2017 will actually air on the flagship network. The others will be relegated to ESPN2. The worldwide leader will hide behind the fact that the WNBA is less popular than most of the other leagues ESPN partners with, and therefore does not merit a larger spotlight. This, of course, is flawed logic that ignores the role of sports media in the success or failure of a relatively young league like the WNBA. Sports fans can't be expected to care about a given league if their primary source of sports news doesn't tell them why they should care. There are people doing great work at ESPN. I mean, my goodness, like these are people who employ the China Robinson and Rebecca Lobo, you know, Michelle Vopel writing about it. I, I, I mean, there's ample work to be able to be highlighted. And so the fact that they don't do more of it and they don't bring in reinforcements and they don't make it matter when they have a financial incentive to do so, because they literally have the contract, the national TV contract for the league, it says everything about how pervasive this is across media, but it also sends a message to every other outlet, which is if ESPN, who holds the rights, they don't give it enough attention, why is CBS going to do it? Why is Fox Sports going to do it? They're not. And so it's a, it's a real problem, but I think it transcends one network's decision. I think it is across the board. I think we can all do more. Uh, I think our, our, our league, you know, our, uh, the NBA, um, I think ESPN, um, you know, we, we kind of live in this kind of like this in-between where, you know, with women, um, you know, kind of have to tread lightly sometimes in the things that we say because if we, if we push too hard, then they might take it away. And, and you know, and you kind of, it's that, it's that way of holding women down that we're trying to, to, to push through and saying that it's not okay. Uh, we're going to continue to move forward. You're not going to take anything away from us. This league's not going away. Um, you know, that, that, that mindset of being, you know, ESPN is interested in women's sports. Being interested in is different than being committed to. Um, when you see a commitment by whether it's ESPN or FS1, whatever, whoever might have a contract, um, a lifetime with the soccer league, you know, really doing it right and really doing it justice um, is how you maximize your your uh, your potential financially. That's what it's about. You know, this is this is a business, right? This you know, this is not about Title IX protecting. It's it's a business, um, and so I think good business would be if you're going to do something, you get fully behind it. And I think that 
um, as a league, we are we are financially healthy because of ESPN's financial commitment to us. And so we're so appreciative of that. Um, I think when we do have programming on, I think they do a good job in the presentation of, of the product, uh, the commitment to, um, you know, and I think there are ways that uh, we can do even more. And, and uh, you know, whether it's through, you know, the ESPNW, their print or their, their websites, um, just continuing to, you know, when, when we have highlights from games that are on, you know, carving out more space, more mentions. Um, everybody talks about, you know, why well, only have two minutes? Well, it doesn't take that long to say a few scores that happen and mention the WNBA. It doesn't take long, it uh, doesn't take much to type something that can run across the bottom of a screen, you know, to make mentions. There's ways that you can do it that, that aren't going to overinvest, aren't going to take you too far away from other things that you want to do. And I know Howard's big on that. You know, he, like he said, he drives to the garden wanting to go watch a Liberty game. And, and uh, there's, you know, the, the local radios talking about scores of all the sports and don't mention the Liberty. How hard is it to say, hey, the Liberty played tonight or the Liberty won last night? Um, and just increasing awareness for people. Uh, and again, it helps it become the norm. ESPN represents the WNBA's best shot to accelerate its growth trajectory. Traditional cable TV, while declining, is still very popular. And live sports are the most future-proof element of cable TV packages. However, as we usher in the cable-cutting era, broadcasters like ESPN face an uncertain future. Here's the thing. If you eliminate the monolithic forces in media. You eliminate the opportunity to make the kind of massive changes that should take place for the WNBA. ESPN has a lot of its own issues to deal with right now that are possibly insoluble issues. And so, you know, whether there's a lot of coverage, you know, my, my concern is that this doesn't happen and ESPN continues to leak uh, revenue and audience share, and you get to a point where 10 years from now, maybe 10 years from now, ESPN decides to buy in uh, on, on WNBA coverage the way they ought to right now, in my opinion, but their market share is 30% of what it is now so that that decision doesn't carry the same power, the same weight that it otherwise did. Um, there's not much to be done about that, but I, but I think from the league's perspective, you know, it needed to stop banking on that. I think it has stopped banking on that um, for a variety of reasons. Um, trying to leverage it wherever you can, but also understanding that there are these other ways of doing so. Visibility is crucial to the growth of the WNBA. Making games easily and widely watchable is where it all starts. Broadcast deals with ESPN and local TV stations in the league's 12 markets is the obvious starting point. But the WNBA isn't stopping there. In May, the league announced a landmark, innovative deal with Twitter. 20 games per season for the next three seasons will be streamable for free around the world on Twitter.com. The games have been an early success, drawing an average of 800,000 viewers each, over half of which come from non-American countries. Huge. Um... And I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not great at the social network and understanding all the capabilities. I had no idea that you could watch a game on Twitter. I had no idea. So that was, that was when that came out. I thought that's pretty cool. Just because there's, there's, you know, like you said, accessibility. You know, because maybe you're only going to see X number of games on, on the traditional way of walking up to a, a, a TV and seeing it. So we need 
all the different ways, you know, whether it's Twitter, uh, ESPN3, being able to, finding a way to be able to pull up a game either on your phone, which is, that's the big thing right now, right? Um, mobile, you know, just being able to, you know, access, access information. Uh, I think we can do way better in that area. The Twitter deal is a great example of the league looking to the future of how sports will be consumed. It's a smart move for the still-growing WNBA to add revenue and experiment with emerging technology to reach a larger audience. Every league in America, men's, women's, it doesn't matter, is trying to figure out how they're going to reach that audience in the post-cable apocalypse that we all know is coming and is in, in many ways already here. So I was thrilled to see. I think it's really forward-thinking. I think it's really smart of the league to do it. And I think it represents... Um, I think I wrote it was the the biggest achievement the league has made in quite some time, and I certainly believe that uh, to this day. For every every cast aside um, sporting event, that is a chance to catch on in a different way, in a more you know in a quote unquote viral way. And I think Twitter represents one of those opportunities. Um, you know, I was just talking to Marta, uh, who's, you know, the Brazilian star with the Orlando Pride and the NWSL. And I asked her, what's the biggest difference? She played with WPS, the now defunct WPS. She's now in the NWSL and it's fifth year and thriving. What's the difference? Social media. Immediately, the first thing she said, people are able to see immediately. They're able to watch us practice every day. They're interacting with us immediately after the game. You know, people are able to be engaged in a way they otherwise aren't able to do. And that matters. And in the same way that there needs to be every day, all the time, WNBA coverage so people can engage with it. Well, there are a lot of different ways to get there, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from the big monoliths or from the national newspapers or, 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 or the like. There are other ways that it can happen. Um, it'll just be smaller, and it will take time. In mid-July, I traveled to Seattle, Washington, to cover the WNBA All-Star Game. In addition to the beauty of the Emerald City and the perfect Pacific Northwest weather, the city's excitement for the league was palpable. It was awesome to be in what felt like the epicenter of the WNBA for one weekend. During my time in Seattle, I was able to sit down with a number of the best players in the world and ask them about media coverage of their league. The question I asked was the same to each player. What do you think about the current state of WNBA coverage? WNBA all-time leading scorer Diana Taurasi was unsurprisingly blunt in her assessment of the way the WNBA is covered and pointed out specific areas where she'd like to see improvements. You know, you know, that's a good question. I don't think it's covered enough, generally. I don't think there's enough interest in it. Um... I don't think there's enough critical thinking about the league as far as how someone playing. I don't think there's enough storylines on teams. Um, yeah, so there's a, I think there's a lot of improvement um, for this league. No one really gives a shit about us during the summer. And you know what? If you put it on TV, people eventually watch it. If you don't put it on, no one cares. No one knows it's happening. Like yesterday, I'm watching the basketball tournament. What the hell is the basketball tournament? I, I don't... I, Beheim's Army, I don't even know what that is. And I'm just like, well, if it's on, I'm following. Like the D-League, who cares about the D-League? But you put it on TV for, for two weeks, 
I was following the D-League. I was watching the games. Hall of Famer and unofficial All-Star Weekend host Sue Bird was more diplomatic with her thoughts on the topic and also brought up a change she noticed in Seattle in the lead-up to the weekend's festivities. Where I think we are now is, is definitely an improvement. You know, it, it's, it's getting better, you know, with unique deals like what we did with Twitter, you know, and things of that nature. And obviously ESPN's been a huge, huge supporter for so many years. Um, but, you know, we still have a long way to go. And the reality is, you know, being involved in this All-Star game has really showed me, you know, there's been a huge push marketing-wise, you know. It's All-Star, it's in Seattle. You're trying to generate and get the, and I understand it's just for one game, but just in this last week, I've been stopped on the street more, maybe in one week than I have my whole career here. I, I'm not even joking. It's been it's been crazy, and and that just goes to show you what coverage, what marketing, what putting, you know, getting the message out there does. It's awareness, and and you know, like I said, are we are we happy that things have improved? Yes, but are we satisfied with where we are? I don't think so. There are situations where. You know, you might see something and, and wonder why there aren't any more WNBA highlights. You know, why they're not talking about, you know, if, some, if a major trade happens, why it's not discussed or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and then there are times when you might see a commercial, you know, for Brand X. And they have a female playing basketball. Why not have a WNBA player doing it? Things like that, you know. So there are definitely times when, when that, that pops in your head. First-time All-Star Lasia Clarendon highlighted increases in scoring and overall aesthetic value as the reasons why the WNBA is more marketable than ever. Yeah, I think we've grown a lot. I think statistically we're seeing that the WNBA is playing their best basketball, that we are putting a really good product out on the floor. So I think a lot of the kind of old, tired excuses of our game's not exciting or it's not fun, like our percentages are up, our points for game are up. So I know we're putting an exciting product on the floor, so it's definitely getting more access to coverage. Um, We want more time on ESPN. We want more time um, on all those talk shows that they do all day long where they're talking about this matchup between Simone and you know, Diana Trossi and the drama around all of that and uh, building rivalries between obviously like Minnesota and L.A. So we want to see much more coverage um, and kind of making the WNBA cool in the same way we make the NBA cool by constantly talking about the rivalries and the players. I returned from All-Star Weekend feeling inspired and empowered. I had a front row seat to watching some of the greatest basketball players on the planet play in a city that has truly embraced women's athletics. The game is as good as it's ever been, and there are so many key pieces in place or close to being in place to make the WNBA a successful, stable league for decades to come. Cheryl, Lindsay, and Howard help me understand how anybody can help to make this a reality. And, and we talk to our fans a lot about this, you know, the ones that, that say just that, how can we help? What, you know, what can we do? And I think there's a number of ways, and, and, we, and we talk about this, that when, anytime you can't come to a game or maybe you have a few, a few seats and you can't fill all your seats, grab somebody new and bring them to the game um, in your place of work. Again, the more it's talked about, the more it's normalized. And so uh, maybe initially you're talking about the links and nobody's listening. Um, but you have people that are going to be interested, and so collecting and, and kind of growing um, – the, your, your circle of people that talk about it, that are pulling new people in, identify people in your workplace that go, you would really enjoy this. You're coming with me next game. Uh, and then in, in taking it a step further, it's not just, you know, it's not just about ticket sales. That, that'll get you so far. It's about the, the bigger dollar, which is sponsorships, and saying, hey, what are we doing 
you know, what do we do in the community? Because that's what it's about is being leaders in your community. You know, that it's not just about men's sports. It's so much more than that. How does it benefit your company? Well, I think people value companies that diversify and include. Uh, and again, it's good business. It, it would be different if I was saying something that, you, you know, saying put a bunch of resources, resources into this and you don't see a return on your investment. You will see a return on your investment. And, and so I think for, you know, whether it's for women or it's for men, understanding that um, the, the small things go a long way, but then also getting into the big things, which is, you know, a, a place of work, you know, get involved, uh, whether it's you, you can do some things as um, you, you have nonprofits that you're interested in, you know, getting kids to the game, introducing the product. Um, you know, I think that there's just, uh, you know, kind of an endless, you know, thanking the media when they cover, letting them know you want more coverage. Um, you know, being, being more active because it, it sure as heck happens on the other side with men's sports. You know, we have a fantasy league now, which is really cool. Get involved, you know, because that's what it's about. That's what everybody wants. They want clicks, right? They want you, they want you to their site because obviously they're getting paid uh, through advertising, right? Increase your ability for someone to want to advertise with you. Uh, FSN, when we're on FSN, when you can find it, you know, it's, it's – uh, FSN needs to be able to, to say, you know, this is something we want to sell to our advertisers. Um, you got to watch. you got to tune in. I think there's all different ways that they measure, um, you know, the, the metrics for who's watching. And, and, and uh, click on articles, you know. It can't just be you just can't come to the game. It's so much more than that. The solution, like I said, it's, it's all of us pushing everybody to be better you know I mean when I started my job so so I'm in a little bit of a different place because my full-time job is writing about the intersection of sports and politics so I'm not breaking down you know the x's and o's like I like I want women's sports to, to be covered but what I make sure to do is to give like to super focus on women on issues in women's sports you know when I when I started and I had a female editor and I still do and you know we said look we if we go multiple you know if we go two weeks without a without a women's sports story like we need to you know check ourselves you know and but it does because sometimes I sometimes I'm just doing some quick hits and the only things that pop up are the men's stories you know And, and, and I will look sometimes even at my own work and I'm very aware of this and I'll be like wow I've only been you know everything I've I've written about you know has been about men's sports in the past couple of weeks you know I have to because you have to make a bigger effort um, but there is an audience there. People care when you tell them why they care. You simply need to let people know that this is what you want. You know, there's that, that little, um, that, that mini project I took on over the last few weeks um, to try and get 880 WCBS AM to have the Liberty scores on their broadcast. And, and so, and it's silly and it's ridiculous at some level. And at another level, I feel like it's really not because every single time they have a broadcast where they tell us about how the Mets scored their runs, but they don't so much as tell you that the Liberty had a game. It is just another way of saying, like, these women don't matter. And I just think it's deeply damaging. So whatever these leads can do and whatever individual women or men consuming it can do, what has to happen is it has to be in the atmosphere. So how it changes is a hundred different places move one percent instead of one place moving a hundred percent. I just I and and but so that's where we come in. That's where, you know, you reach out to, on Twitter to WCBS 880 AM. Like, I'm not convinced that I'm going to, like, change the course of human history or the way women's sports are covered by virtue of doing that. But I do think there's a chance that there's a small difference, that more people will hear about it, that more people will understand that it 
matters, that it's part of the conversation, and that it'll have, have an effect on what other radio stations are going to do. That um, the that an editor at a newspaper is going to hear that and make, you know what, let's make sure we get the Liberty score in as we go. If people think it matters, then it matters. And if people in this business decide that it matters, then it will matter. And it's going to be really hard for the WNBA to break through in the way that everyone is hoping they will until a whole bunch of people in my business make that decision. And so I just I just want to be leaders in that area and and so for me it's just it's, it's media coverage is a part of what I'm doing as a coach and for this team. Um, you know, I'm I'm advocating for um, not just my team but for the WNBA and women as a whole. Um, because I want that sports are our microcosm of society. When we treat women in sport better and more equally, then we're going to treat women better and more equally in society, in business, and in, in all that. So to me, it's a, um, it's sports is my world, but it really is about um, you know, doing better for women and, and, and people of color, you know, the marginalized groups. And um, I think that's, that's what I can do. Um, I want that when, when I'm no longer here on this earth, I want to have left in a way that my work, my daily life, uh, made it better, in particular for for women, uh, and and in my job and being around women of color, those two things for me are uh, at the top. Winning games, you know, that's what we're about. I'm never, never going to sacrifice winning games, um, but you know, when you have a platform, you know, you have a responsibility to use your platform, and uh, you know, if you see something, say something, and, and you have the ability to do that. Now we all have a voice, you know, it's this mobile device. That gives us a voice, and so I think it's really, really important to use your voice. Thanks for listening to episode two of Lynx Dynasty. Special thanks to Cheryl Reeve, Howard Megdahl, Lindsey Gibbs, Diana Tarasi, Sue Bird, and Leja Clarendon for their time. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or in your podcast app of choice. If you enjoyed this show, please recommend it to another basketball fan in your life. Lynx Dynasty is produced, written, and hosted by me, Neil Olstad. You can follow me on Twitter at Lynx underscore Dynasty and read my 2017 Minnesota Lynx coverage at CanisHoopus.com. Thank you for listening.